Hi, my name is Adrienne Beatty, and I'm the Kids Ministry Director at Saltbox Church, where you can find a community who will walk with you into a deeper relationship with King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning. How are you guys doing? You guys look pretty good. You look well-rested. Anybody feel real, real, real well-rested? Yeah, awesome. The younger crowd today. <laughs> Awesome. Well, for those of you guys who don't know, today is Vision Sunday. Uh, amen. And so, <laughs> a smattering of applause. Just the excitement is palpable Can right now. Yeah, bit? yeah. Today's Vision Sunday. Come on, church. Come on. Yeah. Man, it was so awesome uh, getting to relive that uh, baptism Sunday. Uh, just a few short weeks ago, we gathered on the beach, and we celebrated all that God was doing in people's lives. And uh, man, that, what a beautiful day that was. That was awesome. Uh, so uh, we're going to talk about today uh, all the new things that are happening at Saltbox Church. Uh, we're also going to take a peek at the vision for where God may be leading us in the future. Um, I don't know that we're going to get into all of the answers and all of the details today, uh, but we do want to talk about um, what God is uniquely doing in this church, in our community. Um, so um, first things first, um, we are moving as a church. We are moving to a new location. The woos are people who've been um, <laughs> keeping this place mopped and cleaned for the last couple of months in a middle school. Can you tell us a little bit about the why behind the move? Yeah, great, great question. If you, if you don't know what's happening, um, we are exiting uh, Rolling Grace Middle School. This has been a sweet home for us. I actually went to middle school here, believe wow. it or not. I actually led meet you at the pole prayer meetings in yeah. 1994 and 1995 around that flagpole with wow. like 20 or 30 students coming out every week. Yeah, super cool. So for me, this is a real neat full circle moment to be here at Rolling Grace, but it's also a real neat full circle moment to exit and move on. So we love the squeaky chairs. We love that where, this, where we've been here in the school, but the school continually has things that they want us to be um, gone for. So over Christmas, they want us out for a month, and we continue to have challenges just with space and our growing kids' areas and ministries and bathrooms and all the stuff. So we are headed to the First Baptist Activity Center, which as, the, as a bird flies is about a mile that way. Um, it's very, very close to here. And what's really neat about that is we have a multi-year lease, and they never use, ever, ever, ever use that Baptist First Baptist Activity Center on Sundays. So we're going to be there every Sunday. We have a lot of flexibility, really, really beautiful space. The Kids' spaces are state-of-the-art. Oh, man, it is outstanding. Absolutely. I mean, it really, I'm probably some of the finest in the city, in my opinion. Absolutely. Really clean bathrooms. <laughs> yeah, more than, a, more than a half stall. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's at least six stalls in these bathrooms. I'm telling you, the doors all work. It's, it's, <laughs> we, our standard for awesome right now is, uh, is kind of low, but they will be great, I promise. It'll be good. We're buying new chairs. There's lots happening. So that starts December 17th. We're going to be there. That'll be our first Sunday there. And indefinitely from there, we will be over there. And my prayer, our prayer really as a staff and as pastors, I think, is that that would be our last mobile church stop before God gives us a building. Now, God is God, and I am not, and that could change, but that is my prayer and, and my hope. Yeah. We've, uh, Saltbox is a very, some of you guys have been around from the beginning. Uh, you know, it's a, we're a flexible church. Uh, so sometimes if that means meeting outside in a field, 
uh, or in a warehouse uh, or somewhere down. Like, we're going to do whatever it takes for us to gather together, uh, which I think is awesome. I think the most interesting Sunday so far happened at our landscaping shop. Uh, it was kind of in the middle of COVID, and um, we met, and it was raining. So guess how many people came? One family. <laughs> One family. And they sat on our green John Deere tractor. They're kids. Yeah. That's right up my <laughs> alley right there. But, yeah, so this is, it's just a neat part of the journey to be where we are and now to be going um, into a more, more permanent space. Yeah, absolutely. Offices are going to stay where they are over off of Randall. Nothing's changing there. But just for gathering Sunday morning, we're going to be at the First Baptist Activity Center. So, Pastor Daniel. Yeah. I'm going to call you PD today, if that's okay. PD that's better to call you. So, PD, um, we have some more big news. Um, we've been doing, and I should say even you've been doing, been a lot of work on our branding as a church. And you guys might not know this, but um, every new person that I've ever talked to that has come through our doors to Saltbox has already looked at our website. Do you know that? And listened to multiple sermons and or services online. So the real front door of the church is actually what is on this you know, the World Wide Web out there, right? You know, so it is what Daniel, Pastor Daniel, has really been working on um, is some of that. So would you just unfold some of that for us? Tell us what you've been doing. Yeah, absolutely. So since March, uh, we've been working together as a team, kind of readdressing uh, our branding, logo, design, how people see and perceive us as a church. Uh, some of that was because there's a, been a couple of, like, new churches, ministries, businesses, that have cropped up that have a very similar name to ours. I'm not going to mention them here, uh, but there, there are some out there. Um, and so uh, we really needed branding that told the story of who we are as a church. So uh, we, we kind of uh, almost reevaluated everything, and we, we hired an artist to come in and sit down with Pastor Michael and Abby. And for those of you guys who don't know, uh, Abby Mattis is actually the one who designed our current logo and our current website, this one right here, the Salt with the Square. Give her a hand. Absolutely. Come on, babe. That's right. <laughs> You're embarrassed now a little she bit. She is a great okay. volunteer. We're just all going to point at you and stare. Um, but, and, it, and it was really great. Really, I mean, a beautiful, elegant, all the, all the things. Uh, but we wanted to kind of start from, uh, from scratch and, and tell the story of what God was doing um, with us at Saltbox Church. So we brought an artist in who sat down and interviewed Abby and, uh, and Pastor Michael for, it seems like, several hours. Uh, I, I'm kind of immature, so for me, being in the room, it felt like several hours. It was. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but, but they're really just hearing the heartbeat behind the vision of the church. And then they set off on a mission to try to tell that, um, that story graphically. And uh, so today, for the first time, we are unveiling the new church logo. Uh, but before we do that, like, I kind of like this. Like, that's kind of awesome. Yeah. Uh, so we're just, I was going to ask you up here, does that mean I have to change that? You know what? I think we should keep it around. Like, okay. I don't think we should completely get rid of it. Uh, we'll still use it on some print things, um, so we're not going to abandon that altogether. But from now on, you're going to see a lot more stuff with the new, the new logo and design on it. So are you guys ready to see the new new? Yeah. All right, let's do a little drum roll. And three, two, one. On the screen. Whoa, there it is. Woo. I'm, my, my big head's in the way. <laughs> and there it is. So we're actually going to talk in just a little bit. Um, you can see the icon at the top. Uh, and uh, Pastor Michael is going to share a little bit about where the name Saltbox came from today and what that is about. And then we'll also uh, touch on what that graphic represents. And we'll get into that a little bit. Man, I don't know. I'm really short-legged. So these high stools, man, I might... <laughs> 
<laughs> my legs are dangling off the front like this. It's okay. It's all right. No one thinks about what the short guy's going to have to go through up here. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, man, we're really excited about what God's doing. And, um, and today at the picnic, we're actually going to give every single person a free t-shirt with a new logo and a design on it. Uh, so make sure that you come today uh, after church to the picnic and get your new free t-shirt. People love free t-shirts. <laughs> you know it. I like free t-shirts. All right. Uh, so... Uh, we want to talk about the name Saltbox, but kind of before we get into that, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the vision that God has, has birthed in you for this church? And a lot of people are like, what kind of church is this? Yeah. Uh, are we a charismatic church? Are we uh, a more of a traditional church? There's a lot that kind of, we're somewhere in that spectrum. Uh, when you close your eyes at night, uh, what kind of church do you see? Like, what is God planning in your heart? I guess maybe even the better question is, what are we becoming? Yeah, what a great question. Um, I don't know that, that let, me, uh, let me do this. Matthew 28, um, if you want to open your Bible or if you're on your phone, you want to scroll there. But Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 to 20, I'm going to reference that. Um, and, and even though this is an interview this morning, this will be our, our text and our preach, because this is where the name um, Saltbox came from. So I'll, I'll reference that as we go along. But I think for me and for Abby, um, Saltbox came really from a place of we wanted a church that was both word and spirit. Um, we wanted a church that wasn't overly um, um, orchestrated or contrived on a Sunday morning. Um, we wanted a church that is not showy, um, but is authentic, gritty, relational. Um, I, I believe the God of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is so relational. That's even one of our core values, fiercely relational is what I would call it. Um, so when, when I think of who we are and where we're going, we are an honest, authentic community. And, and even our tagline is to lead people to become fully surrendered disciples of Christ. You know, a lot of churches right now would shy away from that word disciple because it's like, oh, it's a Bible word. Well, we're Bible people, right? We're church people. We're Jesus people. And so, you know, and even when, when Jesus preached the gospel, every time that I can find he preached it, I find seven times, but he, he, he said, take up your cross and follow me. So this idea of us surrendering our lives to him um, and then really walking with him to build church. So a church that is um, humble, um, connected, a church that is fiercely relational, um, a church that is full of vibrant worshipers, um, you jump in anywhere you want. Um, but I, mean, I just love where uh, Daniel Bennett is even leading our worship teams. You're noticing that the worship is a little bit bigger. Um, and we just want to worship uh, big. I mean, that is part from Genesis to Revelation, not just in song, but that is part of worship. Um, so, you know, when I think of, of the church I see, I think of uh, Miriam with the timbrel in her hand dancing after uh, Pharaoh and his armies are, are covered in the Red Sea. I think of David throwing off his outer garment, King David in the Old Testament, and dancing with all his might before the Lord. I mean, really worshiping God. So those are a few things, Just and, and I can pause and kick it back to you, but um, the church that I see, that we see, that our staff sees, that our trustees and, and lead team sees is a church um, that is uh, becoming, I think, to fully surrender disciples of Christ, but also affecting our city, our neighborhood, our jobs, our families, where we're learning to abide in the fullness of King Jesus, learning to cultivate deep relationship with him, seeing our lives, marriages, families transformed, and then outward reaching out beyond ourselves to the city around us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's so good. Um, 
So one of the things we kind of, I've heard you joke about this, um, and we kind of talk a little bit of this as a church, but we, we talk about how Saltbox is a little bit different from other, other churches. Like when we started, uh, we did everything wrong, um, yet... Do y'all know there's a church planting manual? You know, that? I mean, there really is. Like, I'm not being funny. There's like a, there's, a, there's like a, you know, a dozen of them. But but they're all kind of the same. You do the same stuff, and there's these steps, and you go through it, and you launch big, and um, but so there is. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. We did. Yeah. We didn't do it by the book. <laughs> but even though we didn't really do it by the book, we, you know, we see that, especially in this season, our church is growing, mm-hmm. and God is doing something unique at Saltbox, um, and there's some. He seems to be up to something special here. Um, that we're even trying to, ha- we're struggling to keep up with what God's doing, which is a beautiful challenge to have. Um, so if there is something special going on here, what do you think that is? I, I think the centrality of the person of Jesus um, is, is why it's special, is why it is happening. Um, and, and this like ruthless um, sort of commitment in our part and the heart of the leadership and the trustees to be a staff and a church and a people who have hearts that are cultivated for the person of Jesus, for the presence of Jesus. So, you know, it is like, I think for me, I'm fighting with everything in me not to be showy, right? Um, and not to cultivate a group that is being inauthentic or showy or, you know, Jesus is chronically um, criticizing really, and, and you could even say harshly criticizing the Pharisees in the New Testament because their religion is skin deep, right? It's outside in. So they're, they're always cultivating what does the outside look like? How, do, how are my appearance? You know? And so what we're really working to do here is, is kind of a flip-flop of that, almost an upside-down kingdom where I believe that it's the kingdom of the heart. The kingdom of God exists inside the heart, and God always works in, and over time it is reflected without. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of who we are. So everything is around that. Um, it's around pointing us into a deeper relationship with Jesus, deeper relationship with one another, learning to abide in the person of Jesus, back into the word. Um, you know, people go, are you a word church? I go, yeah. Are you a spirit church? Yeah. Are we a traditional church? Uh, sometimes, you know, do I wear a dress shirt sometimes? Yeah. Do I wear a coat sometimes? Yeah. Do I wear a black t-shirt sometimes? Yeah. You know, it, it's, this is a you know, a multi, I think, generational, multicultural, I mean, the kingdom of God is so much bigger than even our normal idea of what it means to be church in America. And so I kind of want to like rattle the, the, the table and shake the thing and knock it over and go, all right, Lord, what are you building? We want to be about building the church that you're about building. And, you know, I've been a part of a lot of churches and a lot of us in church have historically said, God, we're doing this thing, right? I'm doing this thing over here. Come bless what I'm doing, right? And I think if there's a, a heart attitude that is different here, it's no, no, no. We're going to start here and go, Father, what are you doing? And then we're going to be about what you're doing, knowing that if we're about what you're doing, you're going to bless it. Amen. So I don't have to go, God, bless what I'm doing, Michael's agenda, will and way. No, no, no. This is about the agenda, will and way of King Jesus. And therefore, we are blessed because we're in his kingdom will and way. So, you know, like I say it a lot, but this is not my church. It's not. And and I would even say to you, if you get a pastor who's going, my church, my church, my church, watch out. Like the church, I'm going to be gone in a few years. You know that? A few short years. Like this life is a vapor and a mist and a breath. We're going to be gone. I am passing through. I am shepherding for a season. This is our church. And you're as much a part as everyone as I am um, in the growth of, of this unique church. So, there you go. How, how is it different? Uh, I, think, I think there's just a heart to go, we want the simple person and presence of the Lord Jesus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so there's kind of like this, this hunger 
um, of people who are just seeking after God. I just want more. Give me what the Bible says. Tell me the truth. Uh, I don't need the show. I don't need to be entertained. Uh, it's not kind of like a, like a you know, create some spectacle that people can come to on right. Sunday as much as it is we gather and then we scatter. Like we gather to worship together to celebrate King Jesus, and then we go into all the world to our friends, to our neighbors, to our family, and let them get a, a little bit of that aroma of Jesus that rubs off uh, from us to them throughout the week and through our lives and actions and things like that. Yeah, and if I could even like tag on to that, I think what I would say is our hope here is that you would leave hungrier than you came. In other words, come, come to church hungry. Come to church to encounter the person of Jesus in the word, in worship, in relationship. That's great. But my hope is that you would actually leave hungrier in that Monday to Saturday, you're on your own journey, digging in, digging in with people, sharing, breaking bread, praying for one another, that this actually becomes not just a, a show or a thing or an event that you come to, but this is a significant relationship that you're in with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then we're walking sort of alongside one another, you know, brother to brother, sister to sister, brother and sister, whatever. Um, but, but I mean, for me, that's, that is my heart is that you, that this is a, this is a catching fire inside of us that actually consumes our Monday to Saturday, not just Sunday. And then what we do in here on Sunday is actually an overflow of what we're all experiencing with the Lord. It's a, it's just a little, little bit different, I think, than a lot of the way people think about church. The other thing that I think is a little different is most churches would say, I'm like, I just got to stand up once in a while. So I, I get antsy, you know. <laughs> Who so, had the pool that? He was going to stand up like a, so most churches. Thank you. Most most churches w- would go, hey, um, the pastor's job is to share Jesus and the gospel with people. So we're going to attract a bunch of people. So you all invite your friends and bring them. And that's great. But I would actually say, biblically, I think our role is actually to equip you for your work of ministry. That's yeah. Ephesians 4, by the way. And then you guys become the ones that are taking Jesus out and sharing him out there. So this is a gathering point. Do new believers come here? Sure. Do people who are doubters and atheists and non-believers come? Yeah, and you're welcome. That is great. Come on, get in the Jesus journey one way or another. If you're here, you're in it. I got news for you. But this, this is um, primarily a place where we are called to make disciples and, and empower you all to actually be the carriers of the person and presence of Jesus. Okay, I'll sit back down. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, so um, the vision statement for Saltbox is uh, leading people to become fully surrendered disciples of Christ. And we're kind of touching on that right now, a little bit about what that means and what that looks like. But if you had to really impact that, unpack that for us, what do you think that that means to, to lead people to become fully surrendered disciples of Christ? So, you know, PD, we, we live in a culture right now where everything is sort of built on um, my rights, um, my right to choose, my right to self-define, my right to say who I, you know, all, all the stuff in, in every area. So this is from young to old, everybody in between, every socioeconomic background, um, every um, even multi-ethnic um, background. And, and if you really look at the scriptures and you go back to the beginning, the basic argument um, that Adam and Eve, and I, I won't actually go there, but if you go all the way back to the beginning, the basic argument that Adam and Eve get in with God is we want to self-define. We want to say who we are. We want to say this is what, who we are. This is what we're about. They want to be like God. Remember that text? 
So I think for us, like in the way I read scripture, is we actually come, we as believers come to the cross and it requires us, I'm gonna get down on my knees again, because it requires us to surrender everything. So it's not just like this easy um, believism thing where we go, well, I believe in Jesus. And it's not enough just to raise your hand and pray some sinner's prayer. It becomes this lifestyle where you're actually surrendering all, not just when you prayed the prayer, but on a consistent daily um, sort of day after day, moment by moment deal so that you get in a big fuss with your spouse. And guess what? The first thing is not to even deal with that, but it's to call a time out and get on, sort of surrender your heart and life back to Jesus so that you can relate authentically, deeply, and honestly here. Does that make sense? Same with our kids. Um, same at work, like, like learning to be a, a people who are healthy, um, who are not just, I think, uh, sort of going through the motions, being religious, rather fully learning to abide, learning to surrender moment by moment, experiencing the infilling power of the Holy Spirit, the saving life of Christ. Um, so, so learning to surrender our lives, um, learning to walk with him, and just like the disciples walked with him and became disciples, we are walking with him, becoming like him. So what's it mean to be a fully surrendered disciple of Christ? It's just a daily surrender. It's moment by moment. Um, so anytime Michael's will and way and agenda rises up, what do I have to do? Lay it down, surrender it down. And guess what? In my marriage, in our family, at work, with people, when I'm laying my kingdom will and way down, guess what begins to go well? Almost everything. Yeah. Almost everything. So what does it mean to be a fully surrendered follower or disciple of Christ? I think it means someone who is progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with the person of King Jesus and is walking that out in really like vibrant, powerful, tangible ways every single day of their life. So does that mean we're perfect? Not a chance, not a chance. I mean, I'm always asking people's forgiveness for something, but that activates the finished work of the cross of Christ in our lives and the Holy Spirit's then suddenly able to work. So what is a fully surrendered disciple of Christ? I think it's just someone who is consistently choosing to lay down their kingdom will and way and take up his kingdom will and way. Wow, yeah, that's awesome, that's awesome. Um, so just this past week, uh, I had a, a friend of mine who's a young man, <laughs> texted me and said, uh, what in the world is a salt box anyway? Uh, so, so let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, what is a Great salt question. box? Uh, can we put the icon up, Grace? Uh, let's talk a little bit about where the name came from, what does that mean, uh, and what is a salt box? What a great question. Can I read this text? Sure. So let's, let's just read a minute. Matthew 28, let's read in verse 16 um, through 20. I'm reading out of the NIV, but you can read out of whatever. And let's see if we can unpack what is a salt box. <laughs> All right, Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now, uh, this is post-crucifixion um, of Jesus, right? This is also post-what? Resurrection of Jesus. Yep, this is known as the Great Commission. So then the 11 disciples, why aren't there 12? Judas is dead, that's right, he committed suicide, betrayed Jesus, and committed suicide. So then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. All right, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So if you want to make a note in your Bible, Matthew 28, 32, Matthew, or excuse me, Matthew 26, 32, or Mark 11, 14, 28, Jesus actually says, I'm going to flip back to Matthew uh, 26, 32, because I think this is important. 
So this is um, Jesus talking um, to his disciples in the upper room right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, 32. And he says, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, skip back to Matthew 28 and go to verse 10, Matthew 28, verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. So now Jesus shows up to everyone in where? Galilee on this mountain. So there's this mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Okay, so verse 16, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him. What's next? Some doubted. Say that real loud. Some doubted. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Um, and if I read this to you in the Latin, it would say, Iuntes doceti onesi, which means go and tell them all, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Okay, there's a lot here, and I don't even know how to say it all, so you're going to have to interrupt and, and help me. Um, so Saltbox came from the mountain where Jesus told them to go. And I'm going to try to unpack the why behind that. Um, but what a, uh, in, in simple terms, um, a salt box, uh, it's actually a style of house. Do you know that? It's really funny. It's called a salt box house. It's just like they take a regular you know, house and they extend the roof off the back and it's called then a salt box house. Um, but the reason they call it like that is because it looked like a box that was kept in all the like um, kitchens in the old days in antiquity. Um, there would be a little box or a cellar that had a flap on it usually and you could lift it up and you could pull the salt out. So the, the idea of a salt box is that it would be in almost every single kitchen and the salt was meant to come out of the box and used for... All sorts of things, seasoning being one of them. Um, so, in fact, let me just say this, because uh, let's go through this. Salt was used as an antiseptic yeah. to heal wounds. Can you believe that? Um, salt was used as a preservative uh, for food, especially meat. Um, we're going to talk about the village of Magdala, possibly, and where that came from, but that was actually a village that salted fish. Um, salt was used as a seasoning, which you guys said. Um, every kitchen in antiquity would have had a salt cellar in it from which salt was taken and distributed. So the idea is not that salt stays in the box. Like a lot of times in our, in our version of Christianity, we uh, get in the box and stay there. But the idea is that salt actually comes out of the box and is then used and distributed. In the Old Testament, salt was used in Levitical sacrifices. We could go back to the book of Leviticus and you could read about that. It was actually used as a fertilizer. You believe that? Um, it was used as a form of currency. It was used as a payment. Uh, the Roman salt roads became the highway down which the Apostle Paul journeyed and shared um, and really cared, carried Jesus and the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. And then the last thing I can find on it is there was a biblical salt covenant that you actually pointed out to me. Really fascinating. You said, what about this salt covenant? I said, I don't know. Let's look it up. So we did. And there's literally a salt covenant. And it's a covenant that God made with the um, Levites uh, and the priests. And they weren't allowed to own property or land of their own. So God made a covenant with them that he would provide for them. And it was a covenant of provision because salt was worth so much. So, okay. Go back to your question. What in the world is a salt box? A salt box is a little container that would have been in almost every kitchen in the old days, and the idea was that salt would come out of the box and be used for all the various things that they used salt for in that day and age. Yeah. 
<laughs> so you can even kind of back see to you, that. Daniel. Yeah, you you can see that in the icon. Uh, there's like you can see the square, which is the box, and then there's a, a pile of salt inside. And then you have the directional area arrows, arrows, which are north, south, east, and west, to be used to be distributed to go out everywhere. But you even kind of touched on uh, something cool, the Mag- Magdala yep. uh, village. Uh, we actually had a photo uh, of this uh, uh, place in this village. There was these tiles on the ground, and we saw these triangular-shaped directional arrows. Um, and it just kind of rang something. Our artist was looking at that, and it kind of inspired something in him. So that's actually included in, in the icon, the, those same uh, shapes from the tile. Uh, so also I actually, I, I'm not a necklace guy, but I wear a necklace, okay? I think I have one necklace. <laughs> um, and I know you can't see this, but on this um, is, is actually a Roman coin that was found on... I guess I'll, I'll wear it outside my little feet yeah. there. It, it's it's actually, it's an imprint of a Roman coin that was found on an, excav- an archaeological dig in the village of Magdala. So they were building a hotel in the early 2000s in, in Israel on the Sea of Galilee, and they unearthed um, literally a first century um, synagogue. And so the floor on the first century synagogue looks like our logo. It's kind of cool. And I think that's the artist actually picked yeah. up on that. But the reason I wear this, and it's a Roman coin, but the Roman coin was dated 29 CE. And they found it right on the, the, the base layer, so there was no dirt between the, the, the actual floor um, and the coin. And what that means is, is all, th- all four of the Gospels say that Jesus went from village to village in the area of Galilee and preached in all the synagogues. synagogues. Okay. So if Jesus preached in the synagogues and Jesus started his ministry when he was how old? 30, okay, and he ended it when he was about 33. He went to the cross. So if this coin was a Roman coin and it was dated 29 CE, so it would have been, so you can say with almost assurance that Jesus would have stood on that very floor in first century Galilee in the village of Magdala and actually like stood there and taught. And so like for me, I'm standing up again. For, For me, it's like I had to go to Israel and I had to get my hands, I'm a landscaper, so I had to get my hands like on the floor in the dirt and I had to go, Jesus, what is this? Bible about? Who are you about? What in the world is church about? Because I feel like we've lost you in the American church dream, you know? And so I had to get back there. And so for me, I remember standing in this little village of Magdala, and I'm looking at this archaeological dig, and it's still underway. There's like 20 people in there actively digging and excavating, part, and it's still going on right now. Um, and so they're actively digging through this, and I'm so gripped going, my Jesus, the one that I've given my life to. And, and now I've become this professional Christian, like pastor guy, right? And, but my Jesus stood on this floor right here and preached the gospel. I mean, my Bible is so real. And so when, the, when an archaeological evidence backs up the veracity of Scripture, and all of a sudden you can lay the biblical narrative, the archaeological narrative, and the historical narrative all atop one another, and they all stand. It's like, man, this Jesus is real, Amen. and it's worth preaching about. It's Amen. worth talking about. It's worth sharing with people. Like, this is worth giving giving our lives to. So we made a logo about it. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Can you kind of take me back a little bit to um, uh, the sermon? Oh, actually, uh, you know, we could talk a little bit about Aramis Heights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. um, And just share a little bit about kind of how all that uh, works together. I know that you shared a little bit about that before. Yeah, I will, I will try to do this one justice. Um, so go back to Matthew twenty-eight sixteen. The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. That is called um, Mount Aramis. 
Okay, so here's what's amazing is if you study the scriptures, I'm not going to take you to the ones, but you could look it up in all of the gospels. It says Jesus withdrew to a solitary or lonely place to pray. He does this consistently. And so it's like I think that's one of the roadmaps even for us as New Testament believers is to learn to abide in relationship with with um, the Lord Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. But so it says Jesus would withdraw to a lonely place. And Bible translators have always translated that Aramis word um, as a, like a state of being lonely, you know, or a state of being isolated. So the idea is that Jesus goes off into this place. But I think, and this is Michael's opinion, but I think that when the, when the translators are translating the Greek word Aramis, it actually is a specific location called Mount Aramis. It's a place in Israel called Aramis Heights. It's really amazing. Um, so Aramis Heights, and if, if you go there, it's at the base of the mount. They also call it the Mount of Beatitudes. So it's, it's Mount Aramis or the Mount of Beatitudes, and it goes down all the way into the Sea of Galilee. And there's this natural stone amphitheater that would probably seat 15,000 people. It's all rocky, so like it wouldn't have been farmed or cultivated. And the other amazing thing is there's a cave um, right down from this natural stone amphitheater that is is you can almost assuredly say that this, when Jesus would withdraw to these solitary or quiet places to be with God, that he would actually go and probably sit in this cave. Now, it was also the place where he would have preached the Sermon on the Mount. So this Aramis, this same mountain where he told the disciples to go to after he was resurrected, um, was called Aramis. It would have been the place where he taught the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. It'll always be forever and ever. Um, And it, it was this place where I think Jesus would go and withdraw by himself. So just another little quick tidbit of history that I think is at least worth mentioning is there's this little nun named Agaria. She's a Spanish nun. Um, in my mind, I envision her like Mother Teresa. Um, I have no idea what she looked like, but, but that's the way I envision her. But th- she left her home in the 300s, so like third or fourth century, um, and she went to Israel. I can't even imagine her courage, this little lady, to go to Israel. And so she's going around and she's hanging out with people in Capernaum and Bethsaida and um, Tab and all over that northern part of the Sea of Galilee, and she's asking them where the Lord Jesus preached and where the miracles happened, and it's only a couple hundred years from when he was there. So guess what? What did the people remember? Yeah, I mean, their grandparents told them. Like, they knew it. So this this little nun named Agaria um, said, and she's like the only one, but she says this place called Aramis Mountain or the Mount of Beatitudes is where Jesus taught uh, the, the, um, the, the big sermon. What's it called? Sermon on the Mount. Thank you, Sermon on the Mount. And it was in this exact place. So here's this amazing thing. It's from that place that Jesus issued the Great Commission. It's from that place that Jesus cultivated his secret relationship um, with God. It's from that place that he commissioned and sent out the disciples. So I'm standing there. Now, let me, I guess I'm kind of rolling here. So I'm I'm just going to go. Let's go. When I went to Israel, it was 2018. It was before we planted Saltbox. And I was... um, I was like disappointed with the church. Can I just be that honest? I was disappointed with the church. And I was slightly disappointed even with myself and where the church was. And I'm like scratching my head. I'm like, what have we made church? Like, what is this like church ink? Like this, like, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. And, and I just, we were up for senior pastor at a church and we didn't get it. And we thought we would, everybody thought we were like 99% sure we would. So we were disappointed and we were hurt. And then I'm looking around at all the other churches and I'm like, do I even want to be a professional Christian? Do I even want to be a pastor? So I was like really 
um, I was a little bit at my wit's end, and all of a sudden I find myself at this place called Aramis, and I'm studying this nun named um, Agaria, and, and I'm studying this guy named Bargail Pixner, who is sa- saying the same thing, that this is where the Sermon on the Mount happened, and this is Jesus' secret spot, and it's called Aramis, and this is where Jesus preached this great sermon where he called us all to become, anybody know? Salt and light. And what's amazing is when Jesus preached this sermon, like he, if I'm, the way I've drawn it for you, I'd have to turn around and stand this way, but Jesus would have been standing, his back would have been to the river, this huge natural stone amphitheater goes up, it seats probably 15,000 people, there's people everywhere as he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and over his left shoulder is this little village called Magdala, okay, where they salt fish. And over his right shoulder is this um, Roman city uh, uh, called Hippos. And um, Hippos was up on a mountain. And at night, everybody would light their candles and fires and everybody, everything starts lighting up. So as Jesus is preaching this sermon, he is illustrating in real time while he's talking about it and he's calling everybody to become the salt of the world and the light of the earth. Literally over his left shoulder is this village of Magdala where they salt fish and it, it, all the stuff that salt does that we just wow. talked about. And then over his right shoulder, the campfires and the lights would literally have been going on in the evening setting sun. And he was saying, be the light of the world, be the salt of the earth. So I'm standing there like just gripped in this moment. I'm like, oh my gosh, Jesus is real. God is real. This is worth giving my life to. And so I'm standing there even putting my hands in this dirt on this place called Aramis Heights. And I'm all by myself and I'm going, yes, father, we will go and plant a little church called Saltbox. Amen. Amen. Come on. That's awesome, man. It's so, so beautiful kind of looking through the architectural, I mean, uh, archaeological, uh, and then, well, there is the, yeah, so. Architectural too. (laughs) Yeah, there's so many layers to all that and just seeing kind of how that leads us to where we are as a church and where we have uh, come from. Um, Can you tell us a little bit of like, what, what is... Where are we going? Like, what do you, what do you think our future is as a church? What, what do you see us doing? So I want to be really careful here because it'd be easy for me to say, like, put human metrics on it. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I want to be really careful not to say, we're going to do this or we're going to do that. It's like, well, maybe. Maybe we will. But, but here's, here's where I do want to um, leave it. And so this um, this Aramis Heights, um, this place where Jesus uh, commissioned uh, the the apostles and the people that were with him here in Matthew 28, um, is also probably the place where Jesus was tempted and he launched his ministry. So I believe a lot of his ministry came right out of this this little spot on the Sea of Galilee. And so when um, I'm, I'm standing there, I kind of back to my, my narrative just a minute ago, I'm, I am sitting there, I'm in this place where I'm discouraged, and on this place called Aramis Heights, like no tours that go to Israel go here, by the way. Like no one goes here. I have no idea why. It's this little obscure place, and it's the, on the work of this nun, Agaria, and this guy, Bargill Picture, and this archaeologist, but no one ever takes groups there. I don't know why, but I'm there, and I'm studying it, and there's this little stone, and I can show you a picture of it if you want, and it actually says, um, there's the, the inscription of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and it says on the stone in Latin, go and tell them all. 
Iuntis doceti omnesi. And I'm, I'm sitting there just discouraged, um, and I'm, I'm, I have dirt and this rock in my hand, and I'm praying, and I had a number of hours with the Lord Jesus. And it's like I was sitting there, um, and all of a sudden I am so gripped because it's like I could, I, I heard, not with my literal ears, but like with the ears of my heart, I could hear, heard and could see him calling us to go and tell them all. Go and tell them all. Like Jesus stood here and he issued like this, this, this great commission where he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and tell them all, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So I'm sitting in this spot where I am discouraged, I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed, I'm hurt, and it is like I am all of a sudden filled with this vision of go back and build a church. Have a, they call the early New Testament church the Jerusalem experiment? And I, Go build the salt box experiment is the idea. Go see if we can actually walk with the Lord Jesus and one another. Go see if we can build a word and spirit church. Go and tell them all. Go and see if it can be a church that's not just about one talk head, but we all become a collective group of believers who are actually commissioned to go and tell them all. Come on. Go and tell them all. So what is the church that I see is a church that is more interested in its sending capacity than its seating capacity, Ooh. a church that is more, inter- more interested in the people it's reaching and the people it's trying to retain, mm. a church that is more interested in the formation of Christ within them, the infilling power of the Holy Spirit, seeing um, rather than just numbers and seats, seeing marriages that are changed, lives that are changed, parent-children relationships that are changed, work relationships that are changed, seeing the supernatural movement of God in our midst and becoming a people that are actually participating with God and taking this kingdom of God, this unseen spiritual reality and bringing it into our reality here and now where we're seeing young people walk with Jesus and older people walk with Jesus, where we're praying with each other, we're walking with each other when we're hurting. So the church that I see is a church that is actually commissioned and becomes a church, kind of like the church in Antioch, where they are a a sending church. They're a launch pad. In other words, do I think the name Saltbox is going to be all over or that little insignia with the Magdala stones and the salt? I, I don't know and I don't even care. But what I'm interested in is what if we become a community of believers where people come in this door and they encounter the living Jesus and all of a sudden they're giving their heart to him and they're surrendering their life to him and they're experiencing changes supernatural and otherwise in their marriage and in their heart and in their family and in their life. And then all of a sudden they're telling people because man, when you experience the supernatural kingdom of God and the resurrection power of Jesus, you can't help but tell people. And what if we actually became a group of people who was so filled with the power and presence of the Lord Jesus convinced that the kingdom of God is the larger reality on the earth today and we actually go forward and carry that reality into all the earth what if we were a church that was so about our sending capacity that from this place it became a launch pad of people who went around the world and started all sorts of churches and ministries and things what if we were a church that actually impacted not because of a name or a head or a pastor or a brand but because of a relationship that we have with the king of kings and Lord Amen. Come on. Come on. Let's go be a part of a church like that. Let's build a church like that. Amen. I'll sit back down now. He's never going to interview me again. (laughs) You got up. (laughs) No, I just, I was threatened by our our production team with the camera guys. So, Guys, come on back out. We're going to end in, in some worship.
Can I have them declare that? Do you have anything else? No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm never doing that again, Michael. <laughs> I'm kidding. We have a good time. Here's what I would love. We're going to close in a, in a song, and then, then Daniel or I will pray us out. But um, here's what I would love. I would love for you to stand with me. That is crazy. Jesus preached without a microphone, so can I. I'd love for you to stand with me, and I'd love for you to declare with me. So it's in Latin. It's, uh, it, it, we don't, you don't need Latin. But the Latin, the translation is, go and tell them all. Come on. So here's what I would love for you to do with me, is I would love for us to declare as a church. And it's so important to use your mouth to declare what God is doing because it sets a tone for your heart, your mind, your family, everything around you. So I want us to declare as a church, go and tell them all. Why do we exist as a church? Come on, let's on three. Let's all say it again. One, two, three. Father, we worship you today with hands lifted up in both surrender and victory. Father, we give you glory and honor and we would declare before all the heavenlies that you are God, you are King, you were before all, you will be after all. You are God of the angel armies. You are the creator, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. You are worthy of all of our adoration and all of our praise and all of our love and all of our lives. And Father, on this day, we would drive a stake in the ground and say, Lord, our lives are yours. Our church is yours. Our marriages are yours. Our kids are yours. Our families are yours. Our finances are yours. Our thought life and our job life, everything, it is yours, oh God. And Father, I pray that from this place, you would build your church, not just Saltbox, but the big capital C church that transcends every country around this globe. Father, I pray that you would send us out and we would be a church who is radically commissioned to be about our sending capacity and our ability to influence and bless and send and give. Father, I pray you would raise us up to be a church that has Christ Jesus at the center. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We are grateful to walk with you on your own Jesus journey to grow into a deeper relationship with King Jesus. For information to join us in person or online, check out saltboxchurch.com. Just Jesus, nothing more, nothing less.